Welcome to Rage Against the Mainstream, your full-spectrum source for all things music insight and opinion. My name is Bill, and I'm joined here today with Connor and Steve. Yo. Hello. So we're going to give you guys a recap of last week. We discussed bands that were influential and or direct influences on, you know, other bands. And it all kind of turns out that Robert Johnson may or may not have been the source of every bit of music you've ever heard. Except Mozart and shit. Well, yeah, besides that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, have you guys any anything new for this week? Uh, interesting. Yeah, I'll recommend the uh, the new Rack and Chairs single slash album. The song is called Help Me Stranger. The album is called Help Us Stranger. Um, yeah, it's the first Rack and Chairs music in over a decade. So, I mean, it's certainly worth checking out. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I always liked, yeah, I think the Rack and Chairs is actually probably my favorite Jack White outfit. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, you like it better than White Stripes? I think so. I'm gonna have to check out the album because you know I've sampled through it a little bit. It's tough. It the sounds... White Stripes have more good stuff than the Rack and Chairs, but I don't think I think that first Rack and Chairs album is probably my favorite album Jack White ever did. Yeah, I'll have to check it out because I wasn't too familiar with them until you mentioned them. I just knew that one song. What, uh, what do you got for us this week, Mister Death Metal? Oh. Ironically enough, <laughs> I saw the movie Toy Story. <laughs> um, yeah, because obviously oh, you saw the new one. Toy yeah, Story Toy 4? Story Four. I you saw it uh, about two weeks ago. Steve. Um, obviously, it's certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's funny because I use that site a lot, but sometimes it doesn't always pan out. But this movie, and I, it's I'm different. Faith in it. Yeah, yeah, it's different too because again, this is more of like a nostalgia thing. But it was cool because I went with my niece and my nephews, my sisters, my fiance. It was really just a cool experience because I remember seeing one and two as a kid, three when I was a little older, and then obviously now seeing four as like a semi grown up. I guess I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. like on paper old, <laughs> but um. No, I saw it with them and like they were all loving it for a different reason, you know, because obviously the cool thing about these movies is you get like the adult humor aspects that you didn't understand when you were a kid mm-hmm. and then you see it as an adult and you get a whole new perspective. It's like when I saw Incredibles 2, it was the same way. Mm-hmm. But this, I'm going to tell you right now, it's not one of those movies where people just kind of get sick of it and like stop making them. This was excellent. I mean, that's now four movies, and if apparently if it wasn't for Toy Story 3, they would almost all have 100% ratings on Rotten Tomatoes. Toy Story 3 is the only one I think had like a 98, but mm. they all got, yeah, certified fresh. They're all good, and four was actually worth, definitely worth a view. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I'm i trying to go see Child's Play. So. Yeah. Well, it's funny it came out the same day. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's <laughs> awesome. I'm going to try to catch both of them in the same day, maybe sneak in. Yeah. That hey, it should have done that. Yeah, it just um, what I you encountered know, probation or anything, you'll probably be fine. <laughs> yeah, probation. what I encountered this week that was interesting. It's not really new. It's actually pretty old. Is um from a 1997 album named Earthling, 
The song is called hey, I'm Afraid of Americans. Oh, hell yeah. The Nine Inch Nails remix. On a Nine Inch Nails kick, huh? Yeah, I have strong I feelings against Nails. David Bowie personally, but that song is a banger. That song is just straight up fire though, from start to finish. Have you heard it? No. You've never heard I'm Afraid of Americans? No, no fucking shit. Get out of here. That's a good here. one, bro. I've heard it. That is a good one. It's a goddamn shame. I get, oh, my God. We're not even going to discuss the plethora of things that you have not fucking heard yeah. of, Bill. The video is great, too. Trent Reznor is like yeah. stalking David Bowie in New York. Trent Reznor's the fucking dude. That's all there is to it. All right. Trent. On this day in music history. 1950. On this day in music history. Nat King Cole's Mona Lisa hits number one. I don't know too much about Nat King Cole. I don't Any, know uh, much. Nat King Cole heads in the house. Huge Nat King Cole fan. For Brazil? No. Oh, okay. All right. In 1958, the RIIA, the Recording Industry Association of America, awards its first ever gold record for an LP for the soundtrack to the film Oklahoma. Gold albums at the time represented $1 million in sales. Later, they switched to uh, units sold. Like, they counted the albums. Um, That's crazy. Nine years later in Jacksonville, Jimi Hendrix opened for The Monkees, which is a musical train wreck. Hendrix plays seven more shows with the pop stars before leaving the tour. <laughs> I can't imagine going to take like my 11-year-old daughter in 1967 to see The Monkees and then Jimi, Jimi Hendrix, Hendrix opens. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Especially in 67. Playing like yeah, Purple Haze. like Yeah. <laughs> Foxy lady. Yeah. 11 year old daughter's like, Jesus Christ. That's hilarious. <laughs> Six years later, in 1973, we had Bill Withers' classic Lean on Me hit number one. I'm more of a fan of uh, Sunshine of Your Love. Or what is it? Sunshine of My Life. Ain't, ain't No Sunshine. That's what oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so a, am I. That's, that's mm-hmm. my Bill Withers jam. Yeah. But Lean on Me is, of course, classic. 1996, quite a bit down the musical road here. We had Spice Girls release their debut single, Wannabe, in the UK. It shoots to number one, setting Spice Mania in motion. The single is released in the US in January 97 and climbs to the top spot there as well. A British band would actually not hit the number one spot again in the US until Coldplay's Viva La Vida. That's crazy. Not going to deny it as a kid growing up. I listen to Spice Girls. If you want to be my lover. Yeah. I mean, having a sister three years older, cousins that were the same age, it was on. Yeah. And I think I had. Well, here's the story from A to Z. Yeah. (laughs) I had a baby Spice poster in my room. I was more of a ginger spice guy myself. You ginger spice. I don't know. It was weird because growing up, I had like a thing for the blonde hair and stuff, mm-hmm. and now it's like it's so like I would. I'm I'm a scary spice guy. Today. I like them all. You feel me? <laughs> yeah, I hurt. <laughs> I hurt. Um, oh, your favorite band? N- 1997. Weezer fan club founders Michael Allen, 31, and her sister Carly, 29, are killed along with their younger sister Trista in a car accident in Colorado on the way back from one of the band shows. The girls who had befriended many up-and-coming Los Angeles-based bands are honored through many tribute songs, including Weezer's Mike Hell and Carly and Jimmy Eat World's Hear You Me. That's sad. Yeah, they were just fan club founders doing work for the band, and 
I guess got in a car accident. Rest in peace. Was there a Ramon song like that? Sheena is a punk rocker. It was about her being like kind of a groupie and like there's the same story. She died yeah. too. Yeah, and they made a song for her. That's cool. And that's cool that they also did a tribute song yeah, exactly. as well. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't for nothing. I like Jimmy Eat World. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I could take or leave them. They're not anything special. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't like mind have them. any of their albums or anything, but they have some songs yeah, I, don't mind I liked. Them. The middle's a pretty decent song. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, um, in 2000, the real Slim Shady debuts at number one in the UK, giving Eminem his first chart topper on the singles chart. He doesn't reach number one in America until two years later with "Lose Yourself." America was really fucking up back then. Yeah, more critical. I mean, the UK. Yeah. obviously that song. I mean, that's cool that it goes number one overseas first, but. Well, that's kind of usually what happens to everybody. Like yeah, the always, UK is kind of yeah. like tastemakers. Well, you know, yeah, you think about all the bands that came from the UK to inspire more American bands that wind up evolving the sound. It's like we're yep. kind of like slow to the fucking jump on a lot of things. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? And plus over there across the, uh, across the pond, they kind of dig everything that we like. Yeah. Uh, 2003, a tooth from the mouth of Elvis Presley once the property of former girlfriend Linda Thompson goes up for auction on eBay. Along with a lock of his hair and a gold record, it fetches over a hundred grand. hundred grand? Elvis DNA. Exactly. Hello, John. (laughs) (laughs) Bingo. Elvis DNA. We call this Presley Park. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to... Elvis Park or some shit. Yeah. Fucking. That's just crazy though. Like to think that a used tooth, I mean, obviously all teeth are used, but a tooth that, well, let's see, in 2003, Elvis was born when? In the 40s, 30s? His vision's based on hound dogs. <laughs> like, dude, you have a tooth that's, I mean, it could technically have been from anybody. They're just saying it's from Elvis. And then a lock of his hair. I mean, there's enough there to make another. I mean, Elvis. anybody who has a hundred grand to pay for stupid shit like that has way too much time. And well, you weren't here hands. for the one podcast, <laughs> the one piece of music news: a twenty-five thousand dollar pizza plate, plate used yeah, by Kurt Cobain. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> yeah, that's different. Steve you was talking totally about sucking the grease out of the plate and everything. I did. Yeah, I'm trying to extract it. some of the grease and drinking it. Um. Kirk yeah, but if you got a hundred grand to play with, and that's—I mean, obviously, I don't think anybody like had to refinance their mortgage to afford this thing. I think whoever bought it, obviously, yeah. hundred grand to them was a drop in the fucking bucket. So hey, I'm surprised they didn't put it in Graceland. Yeah, like so, a piece of Elvis was still there. But here's the thing: when I'm buying like really, like, uh, just unique memorabilia like that, I don't mm-hmm. know how I would go. I mean, because you imagine you bring a friend over, it's like on your mantle place. By the way. Elvis this is tooth. Elvis's hair. Here's a gold rat. This is his tooth. Like, I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't be staring at it like, holy shit. Even the pizza plate, that's just something personal, obviously. I yeah, the pizza plate would be cool, though. But it also had a set list on it. Yeah. So for, like, my friends and everybody, and it, like, if you guys came over my place and I had this fuck, like, dude, this is Kirk Cobain's set list. Yeah. Like, on a pizza plate. Like, that's cool. Guys, check out this $25,000 pizza plate that I have. Yeah, because it has Kurt's handwriting on it. You look at a fucking tooth. It's not like, wow, that's Elvis's tooth. Look at the eccentric pelvis on it. <laughs> you know, it's just a fucking tooth. I don't know, <laughs> dude. Whatever. Music news. Today in music news, we have 
listening to heavy metal music while driving could be dangerous, according to a new study. Fake news. Yeah, yeah that's some fake-ass right. news right there. Well, Makes it says right here, a new study analyzing the effects of listening to music while driving found that heavy metal music can actually cause motors to drive more dangerously. The research was conducted by Auto Express Magazine and road safety charity I Am Road Smart, and it has analyzed how motorists would react to four different genres of music, metal, classical, rap, and pop. The analysis com- uh, compared the effects of Slipknot's Sick, Taylor Swift's Shake It Off, Kendrick Lamar's Humble, and Johann Sebastian Bach's Goldberg Vibrations. Is that y- Bach or Fame's Good Road from in Bach? Let's uh, um. Bach, the <laughs> let's also narrow into the idea that they well, picked certain genres, and then these were the bands that they selected to represent those genres. Slipknot, Taylor like, Swift, Kendrick yeah. Lamar, and obviously Sebastian. Bach. I don't feel like Slipknot Sick would have been my first choice by any means. I mean, there's definitely way better Slipknot songs yeah. than that, but I probably wouldn't have chosen that one. No. Um, it's also saying pop music seemed to have seemed to be the safest option creating a perfect atmosphere for smooth and controlled driving. The study used a high-tech racing rig at base performance simulators in the United Kingdom where drivers from the world's top racing series go to hone their skills. It was definitely not your average commute to work. However, there were a series of technically challenging scenarios involving acceleration, complicated corners and speed limit zones, and a controlled stop on the finish line at the end of the last lap. No, I'm calling bullshit because... I don't. Yeah, how how many times do you take a fucking hairpin turn? Yeah. In, I, on that's the thing. I mean, it's got to go more so into like. I mean, I'm sure they had different people driving different cars. Obviously, the music is going to cause some sort of reaction. But dude, it's minor at best. Minor. Well, they're saying um, the guy drove a control lap with no music for um, one lap. Took four minutes and thirty four seconds. Um, his worst lap was while listening to Slipknot. Uh, Fourteen seconds slower than his control lap and much more erratic driving than tests with other music. When Shake It Off by Taylor Swift came on, his laps were the smoothest in terms of speed consistency. Okay. Uh, I mean, they're saying it could be dangerous. I mean, I guess. But they're also saying um, classical music was responsible for promoting a too deep state of relaxation to be listened to behind the wheel. He was at a slower time, too. And they're saying that volume is a major factor for concentration. Um, I don't know, dude. I When I'm driving, I like to listen to crazy, nasty, heavy shit because it makes me fucking not think about the asshole not merging in front of me that's fucking all the traffic up on the blue route. Yeah. I just like to listen to whatever I want when I drive. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, because it's not even just listening to one genre. I don't think I've ever erratically changed my driving style no. on the basis of music Fuck I was no. listening to. Because like all those artists I've listened to, I mean, I'm not going to say that I like all of them, and it's ironic because the worst one of all of them, in my opinion, is Slipknot. Yeah. <laughs> I think I like Taylor Swift and Kendrick Lamar. Then again, I really don't like Humble either. That That's one song I can never get into. Oh, yeah. I well, like again, I mean, that's just Sit generic down. enough. I like Be Kendrick humble. Lamar, though. <laughs> I fuck with Kendrick Lamar. Oh, but, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think that really weighs no credibility on me to say that, yeah, okay, heavy metal causes accidents. No. Fake news. That's how I'm deeming it. Speaking of heavy metal, uh, Motley Crue's new documentary is all lies, according to Vince Neil and Nikki Six, who are threatening to sue. Oh, shit. 
Um, this, by the way, is not because of the dirt. This is a separate documentary. Um, it's called Breaking the Band. Yeah, it's called Breaking the Band yeah. on Reels Network. So they like the dirt? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. They're huge supporters of the dirt. Nikki Six says it's one of the best music movies yeah, ever. They just look like badass fucking yeah. womanizers, dude. <laughs> it's like, what do you want? <laughs> um, it's saying here... Um, they're pissed over the latest episode of Reels Network's docuseries Breaking the Band, which focuses on the group's turbulent, turbulent history. Neil is especially pissed about how the show portrays his departure from the band in 1992, blaming him for prioritizing motor racing over music. So he took the to social media to let it out. Neil says, Breaking the Band, fucking memories from a manager, Doug Thaler, who can't remember that he's the one who actually broke up the band. The band didn't break up because of me racing. It broke up because he was too much of a pussy who didn't just say, hey guys, let's take a week off and come back with cooler heads. He called me an hour later and said I was out of the band. Great management. Uh, Vince Neal's not alone because Nikki Six also slammed the doc on the documentary on Twitter saying, I'm very disappointed that they think that they can tell our life story just to sell advertising, mostly incorrect advertising. And without anybody's permission, Nikki also claims that Motley Crue didn't authorize the bottom of the barrel network to make a breaking the band episode about them. And their lawyers will be taking further legal action against reels. I mean, anything's better than the dirt, really. I just think, too, because, um, you know, this is released relatively, you know, soon. It's, it's pretty dirt. new. I mean, it came out after the dirt, so it's almost... Like they're trying to ride on the heels. Yeah, of it. I didn't see it, but I'm wondering more so if they use it as an opportunity to capitalize on like the new wave of like Motley Crue fans and give like yeah, that exactly. more because they only, haven't been this popular in, in since the Saints yeah, Walls oh, yeah, yeah. came time. out. Yeah. And then you figure too, a lot of people complained about the movie because it was more so just kind of like a dramatic portrayal of their lifestyle during yeah. the band's formation. Now here they're trying to get to like the gritty aspects of it, but. They're making it almost too dramatic, obviously, to the point where both Vince Neil and Nikki Six are coming out to say, yeah. what the fuck? Yeah, like if you have those two dudes that, you know, after the publication of The Dirt and yeah. the movie that already made them seem like fucking idiots. Yeah. If you piss them off about that, then it must be pretty fucking bad. And it's funny because I first just seeing the Vince Neil comment, I'm like, dude, he's just bitter. But then yeah. Nikki Six to kind of corroborate it to say like, hey, yeah, he's fucking. Yeah, and he's kind of like the media whore with all this. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. just fucked up. All right. Um, last thing we got here is the Rolling Stones finally give royalties to the Verve for Bittersweet Symphony. After more than 20 years, the Rolling Stones and the Verve have resolved a sour dispute over the authorship of the song Bitter, Bittersweet Symphony. The Verve's frontman and co-founder, Richard Ashcroft, announced on Wednesday that the situation has finally been laid to rest. Ashcroft explained the change as he received a lifetime of achievement honor and Ivor Novello Award, a British prize for songwriting and composition. As of last month, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards have signed over all publishing for Bittersweet Symphony, which was a truly kind and magnanimous thing for them to do. What a fucking asshole putting words like that in there. <laughs> Ashcroft said in comments reported by the BBC, a rep for the Rolling Stones confirmed the change to NPR. Last November, however, Ashcroft, Ashcroft struck a different chord about the financial dispute in an interview for the Consequence of Sound podcast Kyle Meredith with. And at the time, he said, I'm coming for that money. 
someone stole God knows how many millions of dollars off me in 1997, and they still got it. Well, it sounds like he ramped up his, uh, in the time in between, he probably yeah. ramped up his uh, quest to get that all sorted out, and they probably reached an out-of-court settlement, which basically allowed the Rolling Stones to act like they were being nice, giving it back to him. Well, I don't understand. Did they write the song? Like, are yes. They, they There's did? like a sample from the Rolling Stones that they used, but... It's like brief. Yeah, but I mean, did did fucking Keith Richards and fucking Mick, did they write that song? They wrote The Last Time, which has a sample that's used in Bittersweet Symphony. Oh, what the fuck? Yeah. Oh, my God. Some petty shit. Yeah, exactly. It's just stupid. Yeah. Well, and that, and that song was a huge hit, and they got like no songwriting credit for it. Like, the Verve? Yeah. Yeah. Like it all went to the Rolling Stones. That's they got, ridiculous. They got like performance credits. It was That's like some fucking like, like shady musicians. management shit right there. Well, yeah, and it was just annoying because the Rolling Stones already have how much money, and then you're oh gonna my God. Like come and I really debating about this shit, huh? making it a bigger deal than it actually had to be. Yeah, that's fucking stupid. Yeah, it's just and it's ridiculous. crazy too because like they know. Like a lot of these artists, when they're like taking things to court and fight, like they know the accuracy of whether or not like they're in the wrong or not, but they just like mm-hmm. refuse to like talk tale and understand it and give credit to where credit's due. Like nobody's like it's almost like a pride thing for these people because what's like you know a couple mil to the Rolling Stones, nothing, and then the Verve, it's like come on, dude. Yeah, that's that's just ridiculous. It's like Liberty DeVito asking for fucking scraps from Billy Joel and Billy like fuck you, bro. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> scumbag. You know, we talk about this kind of thing all the time about, um, you know, like musicians dying and influences and like even on the last episode, we talked about bands that were direct influences on people and how big these artists were. There's some artists, you know, like Jimi Hendrix or Freddie Mercury even that are these giant influential figures and Kurt Cobain too. these huge influential figures. Do you feel that? Like, let's say, for instance, if Kurt Cobain didn't die, do you feel like Nirvana would still be as coveted as they are? Like, do you feel like no. eventually down the road they would have fucking eh. made a flop shit album and everybody no. would have fucking hated it? I don't think they would have made a bad album. I think they would have made like one or two more albums and then Kurt Cobain would have kind of went on like back down. You think like, so? Recording albums in his basement and shit. He probably would have done stuff like that. And. If he was still alive, he'd probably be like revered, but it'd almost be more like uh like a Pixies like Joy Division. Not even Joy Division, because he died. Um He would get that like he would they would be about as loved as like REM or something if he didn't. You think die. so? Maybe a little bit more because they did usher in the transition. Yeah, I was gonna say because I feel like Nirvana was definitely a way bigger band than REM. It, it, comp- it if Kurt Cobain would have stayed true and not like started like you know selling out and stuff. Yeah. Then uh, they probably Kurt Cobain would be like people would probably still look at him as like the last big great rock guy. Yeah, I mean, because if you think if he would have gone into the mainstream sense of what was changing in music he would have been like with Pearl Jam you know what I mean because if he had continued to tour and they stayed together and they kept putting out album after album you yeah. figure you saw like the dissension of Pearl Nirvana Jam Nirvana definitely still wouldn't be putting out albums today 
No, you don't think so? No. no. I don't no. think so at all. No chance. Yeah. Not a single chance. Kirk Cobain would have got bored. Yeah. He was but already bored too, in 1992. Yeah. It's yeah, also, I mean, too, you have to take out, um, you know, because obviously how he died was like the result, you know, and obviously we have the conspiracy theories, but just for generic Corbin, sense to say, yeah, Courtney Love was the CIA. Um, <laughs> but let's say he continues on, but he has a drug problem and like all the personal issues and stuff. Then you have the issue with like what the Red Hot Chili Peppers dealt with with Anthony Kiedis in the early stages, in and out of the band, issues constantly, and then eventually they start to come back together. And Anthony Kiedis changes his life around, and then they just go on to continue to be and touring and such and such. Let's say Kurt Cobain has his problems, does the same thing. Their type of music was more driven towards that like angsty crowd. So his music, it, like you said, it was like either conform or die for bands in that era. Yeah. You know, Pearl Jam essentially conformed to an extent, but they became more of like your Foo Fighters, your rock and roll-esque generic. Pearl Jam rebelled a little bit. They didn't do music videos. They didn't yeah. do singles, really. Mm-hmm. But um, the touring aspect, you figure like the crowds that were going to see him was more of like a calming atmosphere because a lot of the songs, especially after Vital they slowed down their sound you figure yeah, nirvana would have taken that a step further that's what i'm wondering because you figure you heard Kurt Cobain would have taken that a step further like, like do you feel like they would have done like a like i don't know like an, like an in your honor type deal no they would have probably done an acoustic album ish like yeah. softer although people argue about that because you know you're right um yeah because that was almost a blend between nevermind and utero yeah so they took those two that is literally my favorite nirvana song by the way you it's know one of my right. favorites um I'm not a giant Nirvana fan at the end of the day. Yeah. But that song, you know, you're right. Like, I don't know. It's just insane. Yeah. yeah. Like, you can, like, feel, like, the anger and, like, the angst in him. Exactly. Like, with that song. Like, I don't know. Like, I, like, I, like, feel it's like, like he I'm knows channeling he was, Kurt Cobain when I hear that song. It's like other artists. I mean, figure the uh, the Alice in Chains self-title. You can I feel like they would have had an album oh, out yeah. in, in mid, early to mid-95. Yeah, oh, yeah, and I think they would have ch- either not toured for that or failed on the tour for it. You think so? Because they came close to falling apart on the In Utero tour, mm-hmm. and they came close to falling apart prior to the Unplugged. Yeah, they were they were at they were unraveling at the seams. Yeah. all of the In Utero era, yep. it seems. But um, I think they would have not done well on another tour because any tour they would have done would have been bigger and bigger and mm-hmm. that more big it got the less kurt liked it and yeah they probably would have got signed up to do another big world tour and it would have been quickly to him like mm-hmm. yeah uh, he liked to play but he didn't like to scream his brains out for fucking 80 nights in a row for two yeah hours. i mean i feel like that would get to anybody you know who yeah. would be comparable as well and yeah. I think because Nirvana did have music videos, so you couldn't really put them on the rebellious like, sense. But think about Soundgarden. Because Soundgarden, you know, obviously Chris died fairly recently compared to like Lane and Kurt. And, you know, obviously Lane was Soundgarden Kurt, got the complete shit under the stick. That's what until I'm saying. Yeah, Chris because Cornell it's died. like he, mm-hmm. you know, rest in peace, Chris Cornell commits suicide. And they came out with that album. What was it, like 2011? King Animal. King, King Animal. Animal. Yeah. yeah. And, album, I think. and that's the thing. They came out and tried to stay relevant. And that album didn't really like make waves no nah, i mean nothing. it didn't do as well as even the alice in chains albums yeah like, but um Blue or devil Blue dinosaurs here yeah but uh 
It was actually pretty good. It was. Yeah, King but, Animal was not bad at all. But it's yeah. like you figure his it. death didn't do, for instance, like what Michael Jackson did was like create that whole new spark to go back and revisit. I mean, they are actually doing something. They are releasing a big compilation of Chris Cornell work, yeah. which is including like solo stuff as well as like Soundgarden things, which is cool. And then that's how you get to revisit an artist that you used to be familiar with. But it's not the groundbreaking sense because right now, if they did something of like unreleased Nirvana tracks, that would draw a lot of attention oh, but absolutely. i think it comes from like there that. is no real more unreleased nirvana. that's what i'm saying mm-hmm. I mean, it just it's not going to happen anymore but kurt cobain and nirvana kind of like made their mark in society like yeah. made it like an absolute staple to like almost just any music fan of like any genre familiar yep um you know and then you talk about and like we'll just you know because a lot that genre it's crazy because you think there's a lot of like morbidity to it you know you yeah. have to talk about like adam uh or not adam jones what am i gonna say here Scratch that for a second. Uh, Andrew Wood. Oh, yeah. You think about like Mother Love Bone. I mean, what happens if Andrew Wood doesn't die? No Shit. Pearl Jam. Exactly. I, I think they would have been the least successful yeah, of, the, of the grunge four. I think Alice and Chains would have even like sold more than them who were like metal and kind of yeah. on the outside. Well, I feel like, you know, I love Mother Love Bone, but I feel like their sound is very dated. Yeah, like, I agree. Like you listen to their music and it just sounds dated. It sounds Pearl like Jam it was written in the eighties. Ten sounds a lot more fresh yeah. than the Mother Love Bone album. Yep. Exactly. So do you think Mother Love Bone had they stay, let's say it becomes Mother Love Bone, Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, Nirvana, and Stone Temple Pilots, you think Mother Stone Love Bones like, pilots wouldn't be included. Yeah, they're in post They're not. Yeah, but they're uh, familiar with the genre, so I'm yeah, adding yeah, them in yeah, there to I, the I idea because even Stone Temple Pilots did sell a lot. They were like one of the big and they get a lot of shit because they're not from Seattle. That's yeah. the one thing about it. But a lot LA, of people yeah. like you follow any grunge page. Actually, they mentioned the, the Leo brothers are from New Jersey. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Robert and Dean DeLeo are from New Jersey. Yes. We Irrelevant compared to Scott, but. But, yeah, I mean, I definitely feel like I mean, Stone Temple Pilots would have fucking completely outsold Mother Love Bone, like no questions. Stone asked. Temple Pilots outsold Alice in Chains and Soundgarden. Really? Yeah, <laughs> Core sold like eight million copies in the states. So did Live. Like, no Soundgarden album or Alice in Chains album sold as much as Throwing Copper or Core. Oh wow! What do you think Alice in Chains would have done? What with Lane? Had Lane not died. I felt like the band uh, would have been they, broken up because yeah, the band was already broken up at that mm-hmm. point. Do you think though they wouldn't have ever been in the condition to no. successfully execute? Well, I was saying we're ignoring the idea like he's withering away to nothing. Oh, so if well, Lane, yeah, if he I mean, stayed he's at the peak of up, his abilities, yeah, he's still fucked up, but he's still capable to make music. Do you think he's yeah, gonna have like an Axl Rose type that, shit? Though. Huh? That's, you can't sustain that though. But I'm saying the idea is, is like, like what do you mean, like guys, an Anthony Kiedis thing? Like if he cleaned no, no, up, no, like, okay, yeah, and that's, a, or almost say so to the likes of like Axl Rose. Yeah, he was all fucked up with them, and then obviously he kind of got it to grip. Axl like, Rose was on losing. heroin. They were all fucked up. Hmm. That the appetite for destruction era. That was one of the biggest issues. Was obviously because everybody else was getting, especially Steven Adler. They were all really getting hooked, and yeah. Axl Rose was like done with it. I feel like with Allison Chains, so Axl wasn't. He was, but he grew. He like grew out of it. He was mm-hmm. like, I, you know, because he's losing. Yeah, he, he was really probably just flirted with it or whatever. Yeah, like he hung yeah. out. He got drunk. He did drugs. I mean, Mister Brownstone was obviously a correlation of all those guys because mm-hmm. they were all familiar with mm-hmm. what they were doing, you know. But again, he obviously became more. <laughs> I feel like uh, I'm not really sure what Alice and Chains would have done because they had self-titled and then unplugged. 
But then the next thing was Black Gives Way to Blue. And, well, when did Jerry Cantrell did his solo album? Um, I think Boggy De- Depot was from 99 and Degradation Trip was from like 02. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they still would have been Alice in Chains, definitely. But I feel like the newer songs that had just come out, like stuff from Black is Way to Blue, Devil Put Dinosaurs Here, and even the one you know. Yeah. Like, I feel like that would have been drastically different. I feel like eventually they probably would have done like another Jar of Flies album again. Yeah. I what mean, do you Jar guys of Flies th- is a huge success for them, I love too. Jar of Flies. Yeah. What do you guys think about Biggie and Tupac? This is another. We talked about this because you talked a lot too about Tupac having a way more extensive catalog. But we yeah. also mentioned the idea of the way Biggie was going to that pop sound yeah. with Big Boy. I think Biggie would have sold boy. out. Yeah, he's a big boy, but he was on Bad Boy. I think, <laughs> and we talked about this. Biggie kind of would have went to that more sellout stage, especially with oh, absolutely, with Bad especially boy. with Diddy behind him. Yeah, because he would have sold out one hundred percent. Absolutely, he would have been like Jay Z. Yes. Him and Jay Z would have been very similar. Yes. Like, yeah. Just like a center New stage, York, opening act, big money. Pop. Yeah. Like. And I mean, in the way that rap was evolving then, I mean, like, I feel like he could have totally went into the times. And I feel like him and Eminem probably would have been fucking I think boys. Biggie would still be popular if he yeah, was of alive. Course. He would, he would be literally be like Jay Z, where he was not putting out a lot anymore. But and he was more he of like a mogul. Yeah. But mm-hmm. he would. When he did put stuff out, there would be a couple great songs on yeah. it. The hit would be there. Yeah, I feel like that. eventually he would have outgrown Diddy. Dude, I'm telling you right now, that Neil Young line where it says like it's better to burn out than fade away, you think about a lot of artists that mm-hmm. didn't die that released more stuff later, and they're still well-known, but probably not as big as they have been. For instance, Eminem. Let's say Eminem dies after the Eminem show. Oh and my all God. he's left behind is those, you know what? The Eminem show would be considered the greatest rap album it of would, all time. And but those, and even the Marshall Mathers and some yeah. shady LP. But then you think the same thing with Biggie. If you look at Eminem, Eminem is still widely known, widely liked. I mean, he's become less relevant now. And the whole MGK mm-hmm. thing, obviously, we resurfaced before to say it was like almost to gain more credibility with a newer crowd. Yeah. With Biggie, I think it would have been the same thing. Like he would be around and it would be like, well, those last two albums are garbage, but dude, you got to listen to Ready to Die. Like yeah, those exactly. would never lose their sense of credibility, but I think they wouldn't be as like impactful in the sense because you figure with Eminem, all the stuff he released after the Eminem show, it was like this floppy back and forth trying yeah. to stay on the scene. And well, the thing is with Ready to Die and Life After Death, I feel like that's one of them um, like quality over quantity type things. Yeah, like I feel like maybe that those two albums probably would have been his best. Yeah, they probably would have been there his was best. only two. Yeah, that's what I mean though. But if he didn't die and he made more, uh, they still I feel like been those two would have been his two best albums, like yeah. hands down. I don't. I mean, you think about the other stuff that was on Bad Boy after he died. Um, I I just think I don't know. I don't think he would have. He, yeah, he didn't he, have nearly as much come out after he died as Tupac. Well, think about yeah. that two thousands rap scene that he would have had to stay in touch with, like with DMX Kanye, coming up. Even. He would have probably flirted with that scene, but then you had Fifty Cent who was trying to stay with that gangster rap sound, yeah. but making more hits for like mm-hmm. clubs, parties. And How shit. would Biggie have reacted to Eminem? <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, I I don't know. I feel like. I feel like their styles could have mixed, maybe. Yeah. Well, Eminem would have been super respectful to Big. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Um, Tupac, I bet would have taken like a more Cobain 
like a, a route that I just outlined like for Cobain type route. Like, I think so. He would have maybe had like one or two more albums where he tried to play the game and promote it and everything. And then he probably would would have tried to do like maybe like a rap band or like where he went a little more underground with it. Or now I feel like he might have gotten into producing like Dre. He, well, they, yeah, I mean, I don't know how true it is, but I know in the movie, All Eyes on Me, like, he was proposing to Suge Knight that he, like, become his partner at Death Row. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, it, he could have wound up being a mogul himself, you know? And, I mean, just think about what could have happened if Tupac didn't die. What would have happened or what would have become a Death Row? Because yeah. All Eyes on Me, I'm pretty sure, was his biggest selling album. Yeah, And I that was so. his last one. Yeah, I mean, so he was he was growing still, yeah. and he was five or six albums in, you yeah. know, and he was in prison for a year or two at that time. Let's take this back a little bit. Let's go to probably one of your favorite topics, Steve. The Doors, Jim Morrison. Oh, they would have broke up. I think so too, because they were already figure, running out of steam. Yeah, you got to figure. L.A. Woman was a fluke. L.A. Woman was a total fluke. Yeah, and it's funny because it got shit reviews, and obviously now it's like a, another solid album by the door. I enjoy mm-hmm. it. But then you yeah, figure Soft Parade. I don't like Soft Parade. I like the Soft Parade. I actually. did it. And it's funny because they were, again, I think it, everything was like becoming forced at that point. You figure the self-titled Strange Days, you know, Waiting for the Sun, all were just flow, like fluent albums. You know, then you get la woman then you get morrison hotel soft parade to me it was almost like they were just trying to stay and figure out a sound to keep a sound but still try to find some dynamic i'm glad they made it it's I'm, not I, as good dude. It, it's like the same I'm, thing when i, I talk about i like, have it to listen to it's yeah. the same thing when i talk about with bands that like i like all their albums i always have to find a worst album out of their catalog and compare it's it to everything that's off parade it definitely is and that's the maybe thing maybe wa- waiting for the sun i love dude waiting for the sun has got hello i love you it's got unknown soldier it's got five to one yeah okay yeah, it's, it's got good. spanish carpet ride i'm a little rusty on the doors yeah man that album's got a lot a lot of great songs um but the doors, it's funny because that whole acid rock sound then started to really change and progress with like what Pink Floyd did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and obviously there was other artists coming out in the similar sound of that weird rock sound. But I don't think because Jim Morrison also did a lot of that, um, like he had that what American poet that you know solo yeah, thing of all his poetry word, ma- made into like songs. That was going to be Jim Morrison. Jim Morrison was going to probably become that very egocentric individual where he would have taken his own direction. You think so? He I, done yeah, a solo thing. He had an ego, dude. That was his thing. I, I think, think he would have just stopped. I don't think he would have stopped. I think he would have put out like, remember how like Henry I think Rollins he was going to chill in France and do whatever yeah, the fuck flag. he wanted. He got really fucking weird. And I don't think he would have did something like Henry Rollins with Henry Rollins band and try to like you know rehash some shit and try to stay in the scene. I think yeah, he exactly. Just, kind of faded away well he was definitely a creative individual he could have done something like that yeah he would have became like sid barrett you know? i think he would have just been chilling in france doing whatever that's exactly it yeah. yeah just become you know he if he wandered into a recording studio like you would see him on yeah, tmz like jim morrison was spotted at you know yeah, exactly just like, you know what happened to jim like yeah. you know he's a really artistic individual he's he was very 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 creative i mean i i wouldn't put it past it if he would have done like like art, you know, like yeah. painting and shit. So with the Doors, I think you know their albums, and it's the same thing with Nirvana. 
And then when we talk about trying to relate Nirvana to like bands like Soundgarden that stayed around for long enough to become like kind of fading out of their scene. I think those Doors records just because of their time and now the relevance today of what they influenced and his sound and like his whole persona. A lot of people drew influence from that. Well, and, uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think it would have stayed just as impactful, but not as much to the sense because a lot of people are intrigued by like the death of a young artist mm-hmm. to find their music. I think that draws a lot more attention. Well, going down the same vein, what do you feel about John Lennon? See, he was already... That's what I mean, yeah. though. He was already established and everything. Do I think the feel- Beatles would have got back together if John Lennon you stayed think so? alive. Yeah. And that's the thing. I don't think if you try to relate the two, I don't think Jim would have gone and done what John did. John really like had his face out there. He was yeah. becoming like an like an that advocate figure. and like being... Yeah, he was by like like, an icon. By like 2000, for the Beatles to not reunite was them just missing out on like billions and billions of dollars Mm -hmm. because like they the the demand for them to perform was so great that they could have done a concert a year and chart and basically made a billion dollars off of it i agree i agree totally um actually i don't know if you guys saw the trailer for this movie called uh yesterday I think that's what it's called. Did you see the trailer for it? No. No. The premise of the movie is if the Beatles never existed and there was this one guy that only knew about the Beatles. I saw a trailer for that. Like basically put these songs out like they were his. Yeah, I saw a trailer. Like if it was like as like impactful. And like by the way the way the trailer looks, it looks like, you know, in this scenario, the Beatles would still their songs would still be as popular and ring true today as they did back in the 60s and 70s. Some, not all. You feel you feel that way? I mean, Yesterday is a timeless song. I think mm-hmm. that, I mean, I don't know. Not a lot of people give a shit about little acoustic ditties anymore, though, honestly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, well, I mean, that song kind of takes like a tuned in listener that doesn't widely exist anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, like maybe even um, I'm not a Beatles fan, but I do enjoy Penny Lane. Like, I feel like if that song were to come out now, I feel like it could be something pretty, pretty serious. You know, I I mean, I don't know if it would be like a singer songwriter type or like a pop song, but either way, the song is just good. But um, let's go into the world of. Guitar gods and guitar heroes. So to start off small, I want to mention a band and your perspective in the event that, uh, what do you think would have happened in this event? Okay. Dimebag Daryl. Ooh. Now, obviously we know Pantera's broken up. Yes. But, and they're all doing their own things. Dime lives. Do you think there's an opportunity for them to eventually make new music yes. together? Yeah. I feel like Pantera would have gotten back together. And do you think Although, it would have been- I don't know, man, with Phil Anselmo. But yeah, they were well, all, the, basically, by, seems like they really didn't get along with him. Yeah, but with all accounts that I have read, is that they were ready, or Phil and Rex were ready to do a Pantera reunion, and, and so it came down to what Vinny and Dime. Yeah, and I feel like if Dime didn't die, Vinny was about it, and obviously Dime would follow Dime, suit. 
Exactly. Regardless, yeah. I mean, because that I mean they're a package deal. But then again, you think about it. There was talks a little while ago about them doing a Pantera reunion, but with Zach Wilde playing guitar. Remember hearing about that? No. You never heard that? No. Yeah, there was talks about Zach Wilde playing guitar for a Pantera reunion, yeah, but Zach Wilde turned it commission. down. Out Smart of respect. from Zach Wilde. Yeah. Well, they were boys. Yeah. Like they were fucking yeah. best friends. Yeah, he can't go out and make a bunch of money off his exactly. fucking dead boy who got shot on stage. But I feel like. I feel like if Dimebag Daryl didn't die, Damage Plan, Damage Plan probably would have done another album or two, and then Phil's side project or whatever the fuck he Down. was doing at the time. Down, yeah. That would have, it would have burned out like it did, and then there would have been, let's do a Pantera review. And do you think it would have been on par trying to be the same in their style of reinventing the steel or do you think they I feel gone like back Pantera like a- was so influential and so special of a band at the time they came out at that they literally could have put out dog shit and people would have bought it's it. It's pretty true and it's funny because I was just talking about this with somebody before we were like discussing if you could only have one Pantera album like just one and which one would it be and it's funny because I usually exclude when I think about that, like the last three. Like I always go rate the Cowboys and Vulgar, but I was listening yeah. to Strength Beyond Driven. Mm-hmm. Like his That's a good album. Hit, far Beyond Driven. Far Beyond Driven. I'm thinking of the song. Yeah, Far Beyond Driven. Um his guitar work was becoming so much more evolved by that point. He was really like he was literally giving everything he had in that Dude, album. And like, it's just He's another one of those people, man, that we talk about all the time, like people that were like born to do certain things like that fucker was born to play guitar. Yeah, It's almost like his guitar playing on that album was far beyond driven. You could say that there's a lot of strength <laughs> in his guitar work. Do I feel well, actually, I feel like Pantera, they probably would have gotten back together for like a 20th anniversary of like Cowboys from Hell or something. I feel like they would have done a tour and it would have sold amazingly. But I also feel like if Pantera got back together, it would have changed music. They would have changed heavy metal in the way that it is now, 100%. Like you think about the bands that came after Pantera, and it was almost like there was a void that was left because Pantera wasn't together anymore. Yeah. And I don't know how you feel about Damage Plan. I'm not a giant fan of Damage not a huge Plan. Fan. I don't like Hell Yeah. No. Like, I just feel like when Pantera exited the scene, there was a void that was left, and there was other bands that attempted to fill it. That Who was couldn't. the singer in Damage Plan? No name guy, kind. Not no name, but way less famous than. We have to get sound bites on here people. so I can put like a cricket. No, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't know anyone else in Damage Plan besides Vinnie Paul and Dime. Okay. And hell yeah, I only know Vinnie Paul from. Oh, Hell Yeah was another band, that's right. Yeah, Hell Yeah, yeah was I the forgot. band that he did remember after them, Damage yeah. Plan. Um, Paul Lockman. Who? <laughs> Such like a normal, generic so, white guy name. Paul so Lockman, why, why do you guys think it is that uh, Damage Plan was like a, a, a clear step down from the quality of Pantera? Because that just goes to show Dime you Darryl. the testament of what it's like to have a complete band with everybody yeah. being so around each other. So you wouldn't say that Dimebag was like... Well, you gotta understand with Damage All Plan, like I mean, much. people probably listen to Damage Plan just specifically on the idea that Dime's playing guitar for them. Vinnie Paul yeah. said it like perfectly in their behind the music. Mm. He said, "You've been you've been feeding people Coca Cola for a hundred years, and all of a sudden you change the flavor, and it's like here, here's some Diet Riot." 
Vinny Paul said that about damage plan. Yeah. 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 Pantera just had this thing, dude. Like, I, I don't know. It, it, it was something you don't get from every band. Like, yeah. Like you think about like Led Zeppelin. If you were to take a, a member out of Led Zeppelin and replace it with somebody, it wouldn't be the same band. Same thing with Black Sabbath. Like let's just say, for instance, you know, a person that was highly influenced by fucking Tony Iommi or whatever stepped in in place of him. It's not the same. It wouldn't be the same band. It wouldn't have the same feel. Yeah, and that is what I feel like happened with Pantera and Damage Plan. They just didn't have that foundation. Like you have to think, dude. Pantera, they it, those three core members was Rex Brown, Vinny Paul, and Dimebag Daryl. They've been playing since the '80s together. Yeah, Phil Anselmo was basically the new guy, and they would shed it for fucking. And decades. then three were all in Damage Plan. No, Rex Brown was uh, was just Vinny and Don. Yeah, he Vinny went with Dime. down. Got yeah. Paul Lockman doing vocals for Damage Plan. Yeah, I think I think Paul Rex Lockman. was in Down, wasn't he? Or Super Joint? He was he was a part of one of the Phil Anselmo yeah, side that's what projects. I thought. Yeah. yeah, okay, that's all I wanted to know. But that's the thing um, though, like Pantera had a feel because they were a unit for so long, dude. That Tom Morello said something like that. He said, "I've been playing the same type of guitar for a couple of years in L.A. Mm-hmm. before Rage Against the Machine had another band with an album out, and it wasn't." what rage against the machine was until i played with the three or the two exactly. other instrumentalists like dude like you machine. think you know like um like bands like van halen bands like nirvana bands like oh yeah nirvana needed chris novoselic exactly yeah. bands like led zeppelin black sabbath like those were just like the perfect storm if you will of musicians and and Dave Roll, yeah, uh, like that's that's a huge part of why exactly they got, you they listen got to Bleach versus Nevermind. Yeah, and it's a huge, huge difference. Huge like difference. it's a totally different band. Well, and he lifted up Kurt and Chris too. They started playing crazier shit because mm-hmm. they had a drummer who could keep up with it. Well, that's when you used to talk about like the foundations of bands. I mean, the early Pantera compared to like Cowboys, and you know, like how you're mentioning with Bleach into the transition to Nirvana. That's again what the difference is: is when you take two members as influential as they may be to a band, and then they try something different and. Try try not to be the same and you see what happens because that's a lot of things when you talk about these bands that aren't so driven from one specific member and then you try to see them do side projects and more times than not it doesn't work out yeah you know what i mean because let's say um you know obviously ozzy goes out from sabbath and does his thing worked out dio to an extent you know him joining sabbath but he was already in a band rainbow David Lee Roth leaving Van Halen. David Lee Roth, exactly the same Mm -hmm. thing. I mean, you get these artists that try to like branch out and most of them don't succeed in a sense. I don't think, um, even with like Peter Gabriel. David Lee Roth was pretty successful in the late 80s, Yeah, those first three solo albums were pretty successful. They had really big hits. But I'm saying like in the likes of- Like he lasted long, as long in the spotlight basically as Van Halen. (sighs) I think he's mid shorter. Yeah. Like, like Van Halen was probably relevant enough. until like 92 ish. Well, in my opinion, a little ain't enough is David Lee Roth's last good solo album. That came out in 1991. Balance, I think, yeah, came out in 1994. Well, here's the cool so, aspect yeah, it, of it. It was, it was, it was, it was pretty was, close. Yeah, it was close. But like, the benefit is that is like you being a fan of any of these bands, when you hear mm-hmm. about them branching out, you're going to go give them a listen. But the benefit is you always have that fallback to know why you're listening to them. For instance, you know, you listen to Damage Plan because of Dime and Vinny being in there. You don't like it. You still have Pantera. Exactly. But again, it's like had he been alive and they were able to kind of like go through that growing pain of saying we should be back together and eventually they all succumb and do it. Yeah. 
Like the same thing with like, I'll bring it up again with the Misfits. They have this 30 year falling out, eventually do a reunion tour and it sells out everywhere they go. Mm-hmm. You know, you have this local underground horror punk band sell at the Prudential Center in Newark immediately. Yeah. Um, and then also too, I want to bring this up briefly as well with other bands with artists that died, Joy Division. You know, Ian Curtis dying. They he died right before they were about to tour in the states. Joy Division would have blown up, yeah. Yeah. at least in in the in Europe. And it's a shame because then you see what happened when they made New Order in respect of not keeping the New Joy Division Order name. was even big, but they didn't get like you know what I mean. Like it's a that's a very specific scene they appeal to. Like if someone likes but they the were Smiths, big. they more so know about New Order Joy Division. In sure. Europe, New Order is huge. Yeah. Um. So general consensus, just real quick, and we'll wrap that up. Um, we'll go down four specific artists. Nirvana. As big, not as big, or even bigger had Kurt not died? Not as big. No, nah, not as big. Not mm-hmm. as big either. They definitely got a big sales bump from him dying. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Another one, since we mentioned them. We'll mention both Biggie and Tupac all in one com- combination. I feel like Biggie would have been bigger in a different sense, not in music. I feel like he would have been like Connor said, like a mogul, like Jay Z. Yeah. And Tupac would have stayed figure. making really good music, but he would have cared less about the money and the fame. So, and do you all think he would have been as big? Or? He wouldn't have been as big, no. but he would have been just as loved, if not more loved, probably by his fans. I can agree mm-hmm. with both of those in that sense. Um, he could have became like the rap Bob Marley. Yeah, I could have seen that, and the way he was prolific, like he constantly churned out music in his lifetime. We didn't That's mention how Bob Marley was this band, so to speak, but we'll bring it up with Queen. Freddie Mercury not dying, does Queen go on to become even bigger than what they were? Or yes, I I feel like with the whole rock sound, yeah, but the, yeah. well, not only that, but he I died feel in like, nineteen ninety or ninety one. Yeah, but I feel like with like you know like the LGBTQ community and uh, you know oh, gay yeah. rights and everything, I feel like Queen would have been. Yeah, but like look at Elton John. Band. Elton John hasn't majorly benefited off all that shit. He's got a movie. Yeah, well, so did Queen though. Both of them have movies. Yeah, yeah. So they're coincidence? Like the, I think not. Definitely not. Elton John hasn't had a hit song. I mean, don't get me wrong. Queen would still be beloved and legendary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they would have just remained the same. Yeah, I think it would literally be the same if Freddie Mercury hadn't died because they were already so, but like, Freddie Mercury was almost like a Michael Jackson type figure where people just loved him. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, people had like an insane amount of emotion outpour for those two. You know what I mean? And that that would have never went away for Freddie Mercury. No. And then the last general consensus, we'll just say with the doors, Jim Morrison lives. Are they as big, not as big, or not as, not big. as big? Stay the same. Bigger. Not bigger? as big? No. I don't think, think, I don't think they're going to be, big, I don't think yeah. they're going to be not as big. I think they would have stayed essentially the same. I don't think his death attributed so well, much to their stardom. I don't know. I think they definitely had like a classic radio bump from his death. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, because I I think they would have broke up. I think they could have. They probably would have made another clunker album after La Woman. They 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 did make clunker albums after La Woman. Just they didn't break up after Jim Morrison died. They made like two or three more albums, and they sucked. Garbage. Um, and they probably would have done those with Jim Morrison because Jim Morrison wasn't involved with the musical creation, so yeah. he just did the vocals. So yeah. they would have just went to shit. <laughs> Speaking of something that isn't total shit, (laughs) (laughs) 
fuck? Last week, we recommended for you guys to watch the Netflix documentary Quincy. Uh, I'm uh, I'm guessing everyone watched it because we suggested it, and you guys are loyal listeners, and we suggest movies every week, if so you, I'm guessing you're watching them. If you didn't watch it, you missed out. You missed out a lot. Big time. Um, Quincy Jones, for those of you who don't know, is famed producer, composer, music, yeah. musician, uh, screenwriter, producer on movies. Uh, you name it, this guy's done it. He magazine yeah uh, created by magazine mm-hmm. um probably his what everyone would know him for is being the producer on the three biggest michael jackson albums off the wall thriller and bed um but he's done a lot more composed for frank sinatra composed for frank sinatra for a long too. time yeah that's how he broke through yep. yeah yeah um Played with Duke Ellington, Dizzy Gillespie, or Ray Charles. Lamar. Ray Charles. Yeah. He um he was a, Miles Davis. He was the vice president of Mercury Records. Yep. Like he was he was somebody. Like yeah. he was a he was bigger than just a producer. Well, it's funny in the very beginning, Dr. Dre is even interviewing him to start, and yeah. he's like, just you can see the starstruck on him. He's like, Do you even know who the fuck you are? Yeah. Like as Dr. Dre is like, I can't believe I'm sitting here right now yeah. with fucking Quincy Jones. I mean, even when he's like talking to Kendrick Lamar and Kendrick Lamar is just like, this is mm-hmm. like he, he was talking about his lifetime growth with the idea of knowing about Thriller and then actually meeting the man that had a strong that responsibility for it. Literally. Now, this was a longer movie that that was longer than we normally watch movies for. This was a two hour movie um, out of a scale from one to ten. What would you give this one, Connor? Nine point three out of ten. 9.3 out of 10? Yeah. What about you, Steve? 8.8. 8.8? Yeah. I'd give this one a solid... I, I'd give this a solid 9.5. Yeah. Easy. It, it was Very just, enjoyable. Yeah. And, you know, it's a two-hour movie, but it almost didn't feel like it was two hours because it There was so much going. footage. Yeah. There was and so much, much information. On. You know, and you find out, like, yeah. the aneurysms that he had. His mom. Yeah. His mom, his heart attack. I mean, here's the, stroke, the, yeah. Yeah, here's the craziest thing. The women. Yeah, the women. When he, in the beginning of the movie, when um he gets hospitalized, did you hear like how high his sugar level was? No, it was like he wasn't a diabetic coma. Yeah, like let's put it this way. Like our sugars, like we're not diabetic. Sorry for those of you who are, if you're listening to this podcast, we're not talking shit about you. Not yet. <laughs> our levels would probably be around like 120. His were a thousand. Like he should have died. Yeah. Like there's just something surrounding this dude that is just like good. Yeah. And you know, his life is a testament to that. Like everything he does. I mean, put it this way. It, the year was 2015 when they were uh doing parts of these interviews and he's like making this guest list for this um this performance, this show, this mm-hmm. like inform- like it was almost like more of like a pride thing obviously for the African American community and yeah, what he was, was trying like to inspire Smithsonian but it's just funny because he makes the guest list and he's like yeah Will Smith Jazzy Jeff uh, put uh, you know Colin Stevie Wonder Powell. on there Colin Powell get him out there oh by the way get the first lady and Barack Obama and there's Barack Obama like you know President of the United States at the time and it's I just it this funny. is him his making a guest list his publicist couldn't get a hold of Colin Powell yeah. and he's like don't worry I'll handle this pulls out his fucking phone calls, calls him. him straight up it's like what yeah it was even the same thing like you know Tom like Hanks. Oprah's there there, yeah, know, Tom Hanks. I mean, just sitting there. Yeah, just he's the one the that found Oprah. Yeah. yeah, like it's just crazy. Like yeah. this dude is Will Smith. 
Yeah. And it talks about when we talk about briefly too with the mention of Vibe magazine, mm-hmm. that really put that underground rap scene like in your face opportunity to like really get exposure. That yeah. did a lot cuz even Vibe today is still being around, but that that really like having Tupac and Biggie and you know even NWA on the face of these magazines mm-hmm. and being able to like get more recognition and especially when you have Quincy Jones who's responsible who already did Thriller at this point, you're going to be like I'm fucking reading this. The best song album of all time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We we talk about people that are important to music or, you know, like in the last episode, we talked about people that were influential. I think Quincy Jones might be one of the most important people in music. Absolutely. Like, like, honestly, I mean, besides the Michael Jackson stuff, like the movie scores that he did, the people that he mentored, the people that mentored under uh, that he mentored under or that were his mentors. Yeah, that's what it is. He he seriously he's like a national treasure. Yeah. He really is. And this documentary shows it and if you haven't watched it, go watch it now. We're recommending it again. It's not our group suggestion, but if you haven't watched it, do yourself the favor and watch it. It's on Netflix. You have no reason to not see it. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get into our personal suggestions. I guess I'll go first. I never really go first with this kind of thing. Um I am suggesting the album Symbolic by Florida Death Metal Giants Death. Excellent recommendation. It, it's it's probably my favorite death. You can't album. even really go wrong with any death no. album. But if I'm going to show somebody death, that's that or Sound of Perseverance are going to be the two I'll probably I, recommend. I know on an earlier podcast I had recommended Sound of Perseverance. Yeah. But uh, Symbolic is definitely my favorite death album. Solid album. And I recently just got back into it. What do you got for us, Connor? I'm recommending the Tupac song, Old School. <laughs> it's a gem. It's a gem. Um, last week, I recommended a friend of mine who's uh, in a grindcore band out of Jersey. This is another homegrown band out of Jersey. Um, they're blowing up pretty big. The band's called Cognitive. Um, guitarist in the band I was a very good friend with. Um, the album I'm recommending specifically is from 2016. It's called Deformity. They do have a later release, but this one I highly recommend checking out. Oh, yeah. yeah I've it, heard this one. It's a great fucking album, dude. It's just very progressive metal. It's just a really intricate guitar work. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. it's, it's refreshing for that progressive metal sound, especially in the death metal world. Awesome. Um, our group suggestion for this week, we're going to keep this in uh, you know Netflix movies. <laughs> Which just calls the Netflix movie uh, Love you, suggestion. Netflix. <laughs> um, our suggestion this week is the movie Amy. It is the documentary about late, you know, late great female vocalist Amy Winehouse. Also available on Netflix. Um, it's definitely a pretty decent watch, and uh, we'll recommend it for you guys. Or we're recommending it for you now. We'll review it next week. Yeah. Um. So there you have it, guys. Another one in the books. Another one in the books. This is episode 12, by the way, for those of you that are counting. Uh, I like, dozen. <laughs> I like to thank you all for your continued support and your downloads, subscribings, um, listening. You know, we do this for you guys. Keep listening. Tell your friends, family. Shove it down their throats. This is it. By the way, um, Ride the Lightning by Metallica is my favorite album. Really? Yeah. By Metallica, yeah. 
Oh. My favorite Saint Justice. I just noticed we hadn't mentioned him this whole podcast, so I had to throw. Oh it in wait, there. we didn't mention Metallica not at all? once. Really? Yep. Damn. Why'd you break it? Gotta keep it going, <laughs> bro. Damn. Wow. Fucking uh, yeah. I'll take Master of Puppets. Injustice for All is my all-time favorite. I love the diversity here. You guys are both stupid for not liking Master of Puppets the best. I don't respect no. your opinion. No way. Guys. No, I'm just kidding. Dude, Injustice for All is <laughs> nasty. So nasty. All right, guys. So that about wraps it up for this week. Uh, once again, thank you guys for your continued support. Thanks for listening, subscribing. You know, we do this for you guys. Thank you very much. This is Rage Against the Mainstream signing off. This is Bill. Connor. Steve. Have a good night, guys. Thanks for listening.